Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as you read along with us, if you have any questions, we would love for you to feel free to send them in. Uh, and you can email them in at infogrove.church or jump on our Facebook page at the Grove Church in Marysville or even Snohomish and send them in uh, with your questions. Because we every Friday at the at the last Friday of everyone's sorry, we get to spend some time answering those questions for you. So uh, we'd love for you to send in some of those questions. Yep. Send in your best stumpers, as it were. Uh, so to kick off this week's Bible talk, we're actually... Um, one of the interesting, interesting things when I was looking at the readings for this week uh, is that our readings in in the second in Second Kings and Second Chronicles both kind of deal with the same king. Um, and normally, when you would have that happen, it's kind of a major king that we would want to spend a lot of time on. But this week, it's kind of interesting, and I'm going to spend uh, the first couple minutes of our. Uh, of this section of the podcast, really highlighting a king that we don't talk about very often, and that is King Amaziah or Amaziah, however you want to say it. Um, but when you're looking through the different kings of Judah and Israel, Amaziah really isn't, uh, he doesn't jump out at all. Um, he's not listed among the righteous kings. He's listed among the bad kings of Israel. And and really his, his main claim to fame, I suppose, would be that he's the father of Uzziah. Um, and we'll talk about uh, Uzziah a little bit more, but he's the, uh, this week we're also talking about the books of Amos and Isaiah. Um, and Uzziah was the king of Judah during um, the ministry of Amos. And as we'll see with Isaiah next week, when we highlight Isaiah six is uh, the death of King Uzziah is actually uh, the time period in which God calls Isaiah to ministry, which is a really cool, really great story, but we'll, we'll get to that next week. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Uh, but anyway, Amaziah's reign um, actually begins pretty well, which is a theme with a lot of the, a lot of the Kings, um, with what you'll see with the Kings is they'll talk about um, well, the Kings of Judah, at least. Well, that's true. Kings of Israel, not, the, not so much. Uh, but with the Kings of Judah, what you'll see a lot is, um, they're given this moniker of, um, they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not in the way of their father, David, which kind of means like they weren't evil Kings. Cause there's Kings who are said like they did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shows that they did some good, they did some bad, but ultimately their reigns were kind of marked by, by failure. And that's what we'll see with Amaziah. But uh, moving into it, his father was actually assassinated the King's father. And one of the interesting things as I was reading through the passages, I think is, is a difference between the way, that Amaziah treats the assassins of his father versus the way that, especially in that time, uh, it was just common for kings to treat the assassins of of the previous king. Um, and it says in Second Kings 14 verses 5 through 6, as soon as the royal power was firmly in his hand, he struck down his servants who had struck down the king, his father. But he did not put to death the children of the murderers, according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. But each one shall die for his own sin. And it's this really interesting thing because it's, it's back then, but even today, what you see is when um, when people assume total power, like I think it's uh, uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea who like assassinated multiple members of his family when he came to power just to make sure he had a a firm grip. So it's not exactly something that's just in ancient history, but especially back then, um, you would see massive purges when new kings take power. Anyone who had any ability to 
basically take his take his claim to the throne. And then in this area where the king was killed and a new king takes place, you would make sure to punish those people. And you'd, you would deter people from doing it again by not just killing them, but you would kill their family and you would burn their homes. Like you would basically just wipe them off from the map as, as an example. And what we see with Amaziah is that he actually follows the commands of God and he does not punish children for the sins of their of their father just as the same way you wouldn't punish a father for the sins of their child which is um particularly back then it was a unique thing and it's really an example of god's law being higher than kind of the base instinct of man if that makes sense mm-hmm. but to, to move forward with uh, the story of amaziah it's not very long it's only a couple chapters uh but he also defeats the edomites uh which is really great and then we start to see the decline. He takes some of the gods of the Edomites back home, the idols, and he begins to worship them. Uh, God is obviously angry. Amaziah kind of just becomes puffed up with pride, and he challenges, I believe it's Jeroboam the second, um, but don't quote me on that. I didn't write it down. But the king of Israel at the time, uh, he challenges him to war. He is defeated. Um, ultimately, he's captured, and then he Judah has to pay tribute to Israel uh, for a long time afterwards. So it's this kind of great failure. Mm-hmm of Amaziah. And then eventually he's uh, killed by members of his own court. There's a conspiracy to have him killed. He runs away, um, but the conspiracy finds him there. He's killed. And then his son Uzziah ends up taking the throne. So that's kind of the the short history of Amaziah. Again, not particularly um, a notable king of of Judah, but he's the one that we're reading about this week. And, and his... Um, Show of mercy is a really interesting idea, especially for that time. Um, and his death leads to one of the more interesting kings of uh, Judah, who I'm sure we'll be talking about in the podcasts to come. Yeah, so stay tuned. And it's funny because like, I'll, I'll read these passages about some of these kings and, and I find myself almost like I'm watching a movie where right. they do a great thing. And I'm like, oh, good job. Good job, buddy. And then they start making bad choices. And I'm like, no, don't do it. Um, and it's just funny because, I mean, it's, it's, it is – history being played out and we're being able to see it in scripture. So uh, stay tuned. There's more Kings coming. Uh, it's going to be a fun, fun as we wrap up. I, I said this, I think a week or so ago, I felt like we're coming to the end of Chronicles. I actually was misspoken. There's still some, some history we're going to work through. So stay tuned. Although not many Kings of Israel left. Spo- no spoiler alert. <laughs> the kingdom of Israel is coming to an end. Um, but uh, this this coming week, we're actually going to read one psalm. Uh, I feel like there's been some stretches where we've had a, a plethora of psalms psalms to go through. But this this week, we're actually only be reading one psalm, and that's Psalm 104. Uh, and so there's just a quick, I mean, there's 35 verses in this psalm, and so it's not a short psalm by any means, but it is one that is is pretty unique and I think a lot of fun uh, to spend a few moments on. Uh, and it opens up, verses 1, the same way it ends in verse 35, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And the thing I like about psalms is there's an intent behind them, and normally the first line in the psalm alludes, almost gives away what the psalm's going to be about. Uh, and this psalm in this line, is, it's no different. With bless the Lord of my soul, it literally reveals the psalm is about reasons for speaking well of God. Uh, there are reasons that we get to celebrate God. Uh, and it and it goes through God's created order and reveals God's glory by providing and how he provides so abundantly for all living things. Uh, and so it gives you and I an opportunity to reflect as we're reading this psalm, uh, the glory of God. And the reason why I love this psalm for this week specifically, uh, because I remember in times of my life, where I found it difficult to remember reasons to be thankful to God. I don't know if anybody else has ever felt that. I know I'm probably rare and the only one on that occasion. Yeah, during dark seasons, it can be pretty hard to 
to track it down, I guess. But I always, I, like, I, rem- I even remind was reminded this week uh, as I was reading about Psalm 104 uh, because it makes it really difficult to allow my negative circumstances to trump the sovereignty and and, and greatness of God uh, and how He created things in order. Uh, and as I was kind of reading, one of the things that that uh, was quoted about this psalm specifically as actually in the ESV study Bible. Shout out to Evan. Uh, mm-hmm. But it says this, um, that the psalm shapes the worshiper's heart in two ways. First, it leads into delight in the Lord and the world God made, recognizing it as a gift. And second, it enables them to see that sinners and the wicked, quote unquote, uh, the wicked being those who dwell in their sin and refuse God's grace, which I think is a really great clarifying point. Uh, but it enables them to see that the sinners and wicked defile God's world. Uh, and that the faithful, those who worship Christ, will not want to be identified with such people. Uh, and I love the fact that it's, again, a reminder that God's word is not just meant to tell us something, but it really is meant to shape our hearts. And this psalm helps us do that. Um, there is a quick point of clarity when it comes to identifying that I want to provide. It's not it's not associating. I think sometimes we I will identify with these people. Uh, but we're more so talking about we're associating with people. So the psalm isn't telling us not to associate with sinners, not to be friends to sinners and those who are, are wicked or quote unquote evil. Uh, but what it means is like becoming the actions and behaviors and personalities of those who rejected God. It means not carrying those same behaviors and actions. Um, and so it, it's this clarifying point that it shapes our hearts to be in tune with God's creation. We see as in the created order and how he provides abundantly for all living people, that it can remind us the fact that God is sovereign, that God is worthy to be praised and worship. And we get to celebrate God and his goodness and his mercy uh, as we read the psalm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, moving it on with this week, we're uh, actually going to read through the entire book of Amos, uh, not the cookie, but uh, oh, he's- bummer. I know. Now I'm hungry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Anybody got some? Uh, Amos is one of the minor prophets, um, which isn't necessarily uh, a connotation of importance, but mostly just kind Pop of length, yeah, length of book. How many minor prophets are there? Minors. Say Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Stephanie, Haggai, Zechariah. So there's 12. Good job. Thank you. Um, but... With, you did, with, to be fair, you did have to. I did have to use my to figure out. I did have to use my fingers. Um, but anyway, uh, Amos, a really interesting thing is he's he's born in Judah. He's born in a really small town. And he's actually commanded by God to give up his life as being a shepherd, which is kind of a theme with a lot of uh, servants of God. And then he's moving north to Israel, um, and he's really he's got very little good news to give to Israel. Um, when you're reading through Amos, he's essentially going up. And he's condemning Israel for their sin, or rather, I guess he is uh, sharing God's condemnation for their sin. He's telling them about these terrible things that are going to happen. And this is probably a surprise to the people of Israel, because at this time, uh, Jeroboam II is king. And this is kind of – and keep in mind when I'm saying Israel, I'm saying the northern kingdom. So kind of Samaria would be another way to refer to it. But this is kind of the northern kingdom's golden age, if you will. Um, they're starting to push their borders back out to what they were when David was king. Um, again, obviously not conquering Judah, but they had just won a war with Judah. They were receiving tribute from them. Their borders were increasing. Uh, the people of Israel were being extremely prosperous. Um, everything was going well. The economy was great. Um, and Amos comes up and he essentially starts telling them like, hey, listen, I know everything's great right now, but you've completely rejected God and are not worshiping any, him anymore. And God's kind of He's done with it. Um, and, and less than 25 years after the death of Jeroboam II, 
um, Israel is actually conquered by the Assyrians. So the Assyrian Empire comes in, they conquer the northern kingdom. They don't conquer Judah, so that's why there's uh, there are more kings of Judah than there are of Israel, or at least the line extends a longer period of time. And don't worry, Judah gets conquered too. Oh yeah, Babylon coming. But anyway, I don't know why I was rooting for Babylon. There. I don't that know why I just said don't worry. But anyway, don't to worry. Be, to be fair, don't worry, both guys. Kingdoms fall apart. <laughs> a bunch of Judeans get killed too. Um, but anyways, yeah, um, and this whole thing, Amos, Amos is essentially going forward and he's declaring to Israel that there's there's punishment coming for their complete rejection of God. And I love the opening. Um, it's not the opening line of the book, but the opening line of Amos's uh, prophetic words, if that will. So when you get into the poetic uh, part of the book, when he starts to actually declare things, the opening line is the Lord roars from Zion. And it's this picture of just kind of God as a lion, which is um, – it's a mental – image that is has endured for generations Mm -hmm. um god is constantly referred to himself as the lion of jude and all these different things but even in the sense of like you know you think of like the narnia books and it's it's very yeah it's very intentional that lewis wrote uh the christ character there as as a lion just because there's there's something just impressively intimidating about the creature but anyway uh amos opens up with the lord roars from zion and and that kind of sets the tone of the book um it's not a book full of what I would say like these grace filled promises, but basically it's the Lord just angrily telling the people of Israel, like this is what is coming. But um, I do want to make an important uh, distinction that Amos does actually end on a note of hope, which is, which is kind of surprising when you're reading through most of the book. Like I said, you're not going to see very many hopeful passages, but uh, I'm not going to read the whole bit of it, but Amos 9 offers a lot of hope. And the and the final really words on this are uh, in verses 14 through 15. And at this point, Amos has said that Israel is going to be destroyed. All these things are going to come. He's also talking about a locust plague that's going to come. And in fact, um, the opening, I would say, like, I guess you could almost call it like a prologue or an introduction to Amos says, like, he these are the words of Amos written two years before the great plague of locusts to kind of tell you, like he's predicting that these things are going to happen. Predicting is a weird word. He's telling them that the Lord says, yeah, the Lord says this will happen. Uh, But anyways, in verses 14 through 15, it says this, I will restore the fortunes of my people and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on the land and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of that land I have given them, says the Lord your God. And it's just really interesting with Amos as you're reading through. You're getting a really good picture of of the righteous anger and the righteous judgment of God. But just like with almost every other part of the Bible where we're exposed to kind of the righteous anger of the Lord, we are also always exposed uh, to God's mercy and God's grace. And even through eight chapters of like these horrible things are going to happen in chapter nine. God's making it clear. Like after these things happen, I will put you back. If you turn back to me, there is grace, there is mercy, all these different things. So even, um, even after Israel had rejected God's rule, really since the first king, there's there's not That's really true. any good kings of Israel. Um, they're all worshiping idols. They're all leading the people away from the worship of God. But even after generations and centuries of that going on, God's mercy is still on full display in the book of Amos, even if you have to look for it a little bit more. Yeah, and I think uh, I would I would also add to that when when as we're reading these prophetic books, the minor prophets, the major prophets, as we get into the book of Isaiah, as we get into Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and all these other prophets, um, be careful not to 
because I have this tendency to read it quickly just to get it off. Like I, I found myself at times just reading to get through the, right. the book so kind I can, because there is, there is these, these revelations of God's mercy and his grace in the midst of judgment because God's wrath. I mean, even as we, we finish up the book of revelation, it's really easy to get caught up in the allegory uh, and the imagery and the, it gets so, so confusing at times, but being able to slow down in those moments to really understand uh, and see God in full display, his wrath against sin and judgment against sinful and wicked people who reject his grace. But in the same time, his mercy that is evident. I think verses 14 and 15 really show that. And even uh, as Evan said in, in chapter nine, it will do that too. So uh, the prophetic books are deep and they're hard and I, I don't like reading them often, but I'm finding there's a great value even as I'm studying Jeremiah and doing things like that too. So Yeah, and one um, last, I guess, before we, go we for it. jump into the next thing, one last thing on the on the prophets, because we really haven't done too many of the prophetic books. Not yet, it's they're been, coming. Yeah. The um, end of the, the wrapping up this year, this calendar year, there's going to be a lot of them. So oh, yeah. I'm excited about it. But uh like we talked about last week, Jonah's kind of a narrative one, so it's a little bit easier to read. But with the more poetic, prophetic books, one thing that's really helpful and one thing that we're trying to do on this podcast is give you the context of why they're saying what they're saying and what they're ministering to. But if you ever get lost, um, and for like just for instance, when you're reading Amos, if you're getting lost and you're kind of thinking to yourself, like, well, why is he saying these things? Take, like, take a step back and remember, okay, he's talking to a very prosperous nation who they don't think anything's going to go wrong for them, but God is telling them like, here's how you have really messed up. And with all the prophetic books, you can do that. Kind of just take a step yeah. back, think about who are they talking to? What's the context of it? And it helps the poetic language and it helps what they're saying really come to life in yeah. that moment. And remember why the judgment's happening. Yeah. There's rebellion. There's a rejection. There's things that God doesn't just punish people for the sake of it. So anyways, I can go on and on and we can continue talking about it, but um, we're going to be starting the book of Mark again. I know this is a second go around in the new Testament in the book of Mark. Uh, and so this week we're actually be reading Mark chapters one through eight. And so I want to offer a couple reminders for us as we launch into the book of Mark this week. Uh, and the first one is the, the audience that Mark wrote to. Uh, he isn't writing to uh, an audience that is very familiar with Jewish customs. He's actually writing to the Gentiles, which is an audience that's not Jewish in customs and culture and things like that. And so uh, the goal Mark is, is, is attempting and his intention behind this is writing not just to uh, a, a Gentile audience, but helping them understand and become familiar with the Jewish customs, because then they will begin to understand the depth of of the, the statements of Jesus and the culmination of God's word with Israel and the entire world when Jesus shows up and starts talking. And so um, the audience is different. I, one of the recommendations that I remember hearing as a student when it comes to, well, where do I start reading the Bible if I haven't read it and I don't really know about the gospel? It's the book of Mark because of the audience. And Mark is intending to help familiarize people with the concepts of the Jewish culture and customs. Um, and then there's some themes that you'll see at play throughout the first eight chapters and really the entire book of Mark, these themes come into play. And I'm just going to list them real quick. Uh, I'll try and speak a little slower so you can understand them. Uh, but the first theme is this, that Jesus is looking to correct uh, the expectations and misunderstandings about the Messiah. Uh, he wants to set the record straight. This is who the Messiah is. This is what the Messiah came to do. And there's some misunderstandings that he's going to correct and be intentional about. Uh, he's also going to talk about the Jesus who is, he's a man. Period. Like I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm not some, you know, uh, mythical thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm a man uh, because that fulfills one of the prophecies uh, that will yeah. 
that or the messianic prophecies. Well, and when Mark is writing his gospel too, and again, just keep in mind the context of when things are written. There, are, there are heresies starting to pop yes, up. Yes, that the epistles deal with, where they're saying, "Well, Jesus wasn't really a man; he was just a spirit," and then he kind of just like took man form, if you will. But yeah. the Bible's clear: like Jesus is fully God and fully man. Yes. Um, which is a great point. And then Jesus is the son of God. He talks about, I am the son of God. Sorry, I spoiled that one. No, you're you. good. Um, the, these are just the themes. And so that you're going to see them play out. And really, you, you should see them play out through all the gospels um, because they're gospel centric. But uh, another theme you'll see is Jesus is the son of man with all power and authority. So again, it's that all these heresies coming up. It's, you know, he's not just a man. He's also the son of God. He also comes with all the authority and power. Uh, he also must suffer. Jesus as the son of man must suffer. That's another thing that we're going to see. Um, he is the Lord. I mean, the, these things are a little repetitive and so it's like, well, yeah, we know those things, but remember the audience, it has misunderstandings about who the Messiah is and what he came to do. Um, the two more themes that I'll, you'll see play out in, in this book. Uh, he calls his followers to imitate him in humble service, self-denial and suffering. Uh, you'll see that, and we know that. When he talks about picking up your cross and carrying it, 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 it daily, when it t- talks about serving and washing disciples' feet that we see in the book of John, but you'll see acts of serving and humility. Uh, and the final theme that we'll see in the book of Mark that Mark really tries to hit, um, he teaches on the kingdom uh, of God and implies that God continues to call people to himself. He uh, And what I want to hit on for a moment is Mark 1, 14 and 8, 15, where it talks about Jesus' statement about the kingdom of God is now here. Uh, and it says this, I'll read it real quick. It says, now John was arrested, and this was after John the Baptist, who was meant to prepare the way, was arrested. It says, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, Jesus shows up and says, hey, it's almost, it's almost uh, the timing we can see in hindsight is perfect. Uh, because John the Baptist was preparing the way he's now in prison. He's arrested and in prison. And now Jesus shows up to say, the kingdom of God is fulfilled. Here we are. And it's interesting because when he says the kingdom of God, it's this picture of God is now going to start ruling over people's hearts and lives. And it's being established in a way that now they should repent and believe this quote unquote gospel, the good news, the kingdom that the Jewish world has been waiting for, the Jew, the, the, the kingdom that even Gentiles have been waiting for is now arrived. Now, the interesting thing is these people were expecting everything to play out immediately. And Jesus has yet to tip his hand and say, but it's going to come in stages. <laughs> and so these, so when he says the kingdom of God is here, uh, it's, it's, it's not just, okay, now we're all good. I'm going to show up all my authority. I'm going to shut the Kings down. No, it's, it's the stage and this unrolling of a process where Jesus lives. He establishes his rule and authority. He reveals and fulfills prophecies and, you know, gives his life up and calls people to follow him and imitate him. And, and you'll see all of these things come out. But at this point, Mark 1, 14 and 15, John the Baptist has done his job, prepared the way. And now Jesus shows up on the scene preaches the gospel and says the kingdom of God is at hand. And so as we launch into Mark, this is now the culmination and now the launching point that we get to revisit through Jesus showing up on this earth. Yeah. And uh, I think there's really, there's there's such value to reading through the gospels multiple times, and yes, especially because absolutely. of the different, um, the different perspectives that they offer. And so, yeah, I just think it's going to be great. Uh, really looking forward to continue to read through Mark in the coming weeks. Um, the last book that we're going to talk about today, so it's actually going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast, which is nice. Um, but we are going to be starting up the book of Isaiah. Um, and Isaiah is such a good book. It's really good. It's really meaty. Um, and it's, it's the longest book of prophecy that we have in the Bible. So, so it comes up in. And get ready. 
Yep, it comes in at 66 chapters, um, which is slightly longer than Jeremiah. I, and then I would just, yeah, I didn't look up the words, so maybe Jeremiah is longer by words. But I'm pretty sure Isaiah is the biggest. If not, they're the one-two punch yeah, they're, of, yeah. of the major prophets. Major prophets. Um, and Isaiah's ministry spans four kings of Judah, which is pretty impressive. Huge. And we're going to go through um, these different times that he is prophesying. And we're also going to talk about, there's really some incredible there's some incredible moments in Isaiah, which I think are great. Um, and just to kind of highlight a few of them, like we get to see Isaiah's call into ministry is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. So next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. It's in Isaiah 6. Um, I already claimed that passage, so sorry. And then, Oh, I can't call dibs. I, know, I was going to do like it on the it. podcast, but you got me. I know. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that. A lot of the messianic prophecies are in the book of Isaiah. Yeah. Um, and so if we'll start to read those. I think we're going to... Both Isaiah 6 and the Messianic prophecies are coming in the same week, but I think we're going to push those uh, to the week after just to kind of... Because that podcast would get really long, I think. Yeah, it would so. get, if we had to cover both. Um, but as we're reading the Messianic prophecies, you'll you'll begin to hear like a lot of things that you hear around Christmas time. It'll kind of be familiar. Yep. And so a lot of that comes from Isaiah. Um, but really, it's it's just a beautiful book where we see the incredible way that God continues to minister to his people. Um, and most famously in the different prophecies that he gives. But Isaiah is also one of those interesting books because it's not one tone throughout the entire book. No, not at all. So for instance, like we talked about with Amos, it's pretty much across the board, like punishment is coming. Whereas with Isaiah, there's elements of that. There's elements really of, of incredible hope. The Messianic passage are some of the most hopeful that we have, yeah. um, particularly in the Old Testament. And as you're going through, you're going to see this just kind of up and down waves of there's good kings of Judah, there's bad kings of Judah. Um, there's points where the people of Judah are turning towards the Lord. There's points where they're turning away. And Isaiah really is prophesying during all of this. So it's almost, it's almost like a... Uh... If you compare Isaiah and Jeremiah, you'll find Isaiah. There's hope for Jeremiah or Isaiah. He's he's having really great seasons of of prophecy and you know to God's people. And Jeremiah is the complete opposite. Jeremiah is he's got one group of audience, one audience over the how many ever years that he's prophesying, and they're all rejecting. So they don't call him the weeping prophet for nothing. He's not just a baby people. There's more to it. So oh yeah, but we'll get to that when it comes. Yeah, Jeremiah is yeah Jeremiah's coming up too, which will be which will be just great. I mean like. I guess I'll spoil it a little bit, but like one of my favorite passages in Jeremiah is where Jeremiah just like accuses God of tricking him. And he's yep. like, you called me into ministry and you didn't tell me that it was going to be like this. I didn't sign up for this. Which I think a lot of people who uh, have done ministry for any period of time felt like but that. even followed Christ, gave their life to Jesus. Yeah. Like you didn't tell me it was going to be that. So anyways. Uh, but yeah, we're, we'll get to that later. Um, anyway, the, the main idea at this point at this point with Isaiah is we're just going to read the first five chapters this week. We're going to be in this book for a while. So... Um, just kind of buckle in. We're going to be going through a lot of the different themes, but it is it is a really, really great book of the Bible that applies today. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful so imagery true. in it. And uh, and I think on on that note, we're going to end this week's podcast just kind of on a note of excitement for being yeah. able to jump into such Stay a great tuned. book. Oh, yeah. Uh, but like I said, that wraps it up for this week of Let's Read the Bible. A quick reminder that we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out all of our other podcasts and resources, you can visit our website at grove.church and do us a favor, whatever device you're leaving uh, listening on, leave us a five-star review. Um, it just helps to get the podcast out there to more people and, and grow this community of everyone reading the Bible together. With that being said, we will see you all next week.